All right, what is happening, everybody? Welcome back to the John Q. Public Podcast Show. This is episode number 10, and it is part six of our series on the Federal Reserve Scamorama. And I'm going to try to conclude all this today. I think <laughs> six episodes is probably enough. Maybe it's not. It's probably not. But to you know, just give you an overview and, and everybody an understanding of how this is working, why it's working against us as U.S. citizens. I mean, generally why it works against anybody, you know. Um, but I want to I wanna throw, for the first bit here, I want to throw one, maybe two more examples of the Federal Reserve at work and the intentionality behind, you know, what happens and the benefactors of the Federal Reserve. Because you got to remember, number one, it has nothing to do with the U.S. federal government. Yes, the Federal Reserve prints money that goes into the U.S. economy, uh, you know, essentially any time the federal government requests it or wants it. But also, you have to remember... It's a private entity, so they have their own interests. And so I want to give an example here of if we look at the, the crash of 1929, okay? So when the Federal Reserve Act was passed, you know, there was this surety that, you know, that they were taking the power away from Wall Street, right? There was going to be, you know, some regulatory aspects of this. It was going to be a good thing, you know, more more secure for the American people, the American economy, etc., which is, you know, so far from the truth. Um, within a few years of, you know, the inception of the Federal Reserve, uh, the system was essentially controlled by the New York Reserve Bank. And the, the leading party at the time, Benjamin Strong, and his name, you know, essentially being synonymous with the quote Wall Street Money Trust. And so, uh, you know, we've got the crash of 1929. So during the decade prior, the Federal Reserve uh, had a massive expansion of the money supply. Uh, The motive behind this was actually to provide support for the government of Great Britain, who was wanting to fund its socialist programs, but they were running out of money. And so by devaluing the dollar and then depressing interest rates, does this sound familiar in recent memory, uh, here in the United States, investors who were in the know, they take, they move all their money over to England where rates and values are higher. And 
sure, it helped Great Britain, right, for a little while. But it also started, right, put in motion here, the pieces that made the 1929 stock market crash inevitable. Like it was not, you couldn't have avoided it. So the money supply expanding throughout the period. Um, and you had short periods of, of uh, uh, contraction, you know, which was kind of like, you know, trying to fight that, you know, the big expansion that was happening. And, you know, political agendas, though, get in the way, wanting to help, you know, our uh, allies over in Europe. You know, plentiful money supply, easy credit because interest rates are are so low. Uh, urban real estate growing. And so we've got this situation where the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve get together uh, back in 1929. They know that a market collapse is inevitable. And their belief is, just let it happen. So, right after this meeting happens, the, the financiers of the bank, right, they send warnings to preferred customers. So you got wealthy business people, um, politicians, you got high-ranking officials in foreign governments who have their money over here, telling them to get out of the stock market, go to cash. All the while, the American people are being told that everything was fine, economy is in good order. August 9th, 1929, the Federal Reserve places the piece of straw that breaks the camel's back. Decided to increase the bank loan rate and then start selling securities in the open market. Both of these things will reduce the money supply. The rates on loans for brokers jumped up to 20%. In October, 19, October 29th, 1929, the stock market collapsed. Thousands of investors wiped out in a day. The the insiders, right? Insider trading. Uh, those who were told about this ahead of time, they already converted their stocks into cash. Well, prices were at their peak. And now, guess what? They can become buyers at a much lower price. Think about the fortunes that were made from this collapse and created generational wealth. So, you know, just, just another example here of, of all, all this stuff. And then in 1931, you know, they try to pump fresh money into the economy to, to restart everything. But, 
you know, government regulations, uh, political bureaucracies, subsidies, taxes, welfare benefits, uh, deficit spending, um, you know, man trying to manipulate prices and everything, that it just wouldn't take off. You know, the, the foundation of this country begins to just absolutely crumble. You know, many companies going out of business due to regulatory issues, taxes, you know, unemployment spreads. And, you know, for the better part of a decade from 1930 through 39, nothing got better. The only thing that helped was World War II, unfortunately, and ironically, because then you had war production. And... You know, you finally, the depression is, is finally over. But, you know, it's a repeat from what happened with World War One. Again, repeat, repeat. It's like wash, rinse, repeat. That's what has been going on ever since 1913. So, decline of American prosperity and increase in the size of government. All the while, right, they want to grow taxes and they want to limit our personal freedoms. Things like, you know, the Federal Reserve as it is now wanting to fiddle around with digital currency should be really scary. Because if... If people are forced to utilize digital currency, the government is able to track everything. And if they don't like what you're doing, well, we all know how that goes. And that's where, the, in the long run, having a stock of precious metals, gold, silver, copper, you know, platinum, whatever these things might be, actually physically having them somewhere and keeping them, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and just holding them is important and keeping them in your family. Because over time, the people who have taken that route have been, you know, okay. Investing in things that you can tangibly touch and and hold on to is is critical. And you know, the the obvious thing about where we're at right now is you know, being just completely buried in debt. The, the annual federal deficit, you know, has grown since really like the late 40s, early 50s. And if you look at, you know, where, where things go, um, you know, it took just under, I think it was 198 years for the federal government to borrow 
first trillion dollars. And, you know, then you look at um, mostly under, under or during the Reagan administration, uh, there's the borrowing of about another three trillion. By the end of 1995, after just three years of the Clinton administration, the debt grew to five trillion. And, you know, it's where we're at now of, call it 32 trillion. So from 1995 to 2023, we've borrowed from 5 trillion to 32 trillion. I mean, really honestly, averaging a trillion dollars a year in deficit. It's scary. And again, the Federal Reserve, they don't care. They're financing the United States economy and, you know, other entities around the world as well through the United States because if we lend money to a country that's coming from the Federal Reserve the Federal Reserve doesn't care how much money they're lending out to I'm sure to an extent of as long as the interest payments come in and again this is where I would circle back around to if you had a credit card and you, you know, had, I don't know, Chase Bank. You had a credit card through Chase Bank or American Express or, you know, whatever entity you want to pick it through. As long as you were making the minimum monthly payments of interest, could you imagine they would be fine with you went to them every year and asked for a credit limit increase of X. It could be whatever. So, you know, let's say your initial credit line was 5000 And after a couple of years, you maxed it out. So you come to them, you know, January 1st of this year and say, you know, sorry, maxed out my credit limit. Can you please increase my limit this year from 5000 to to 7500 And they say, yeah, sure, not a problem. You, you've you never missed a payment. You've been making your payments every month. No big deal. And then again, you go to them the next year. Oh, sorry, maxed out my, you know, my card again. Can you increase it to to 10000 for the next year? That's the concept here. As long as the Federal Reserve gets its monthly payments on interest, they don't care. And the same thing is true with you know, with any of these banks and, and anything like that. The Federal Reserve right now increasing the the base interest rate to corporate lending and institutional lending is a mechanism to try to limit what's happening, um, how active the economy is by 
increasing the rates that it charges the big banks. And then obviously the big banks, you know, pass that along to the consumer. The idea here, if you just think about this from a, from a common sense perspective, that they want less people to be taking on debt activity at this point in time for, you know, however long it's going to be. They need the economy to slow down because the economy is, as they would have called it, got heated because they took interest rates when, when COVID hit and then they took interest rates way down, which was stupid. When they took the interest rates way down, what do people inherently do? If you told someone, I'm going to give you a loan at, you know, say, you know, 1% interest. And people are going to, you know, flock to finance things. Think about real estate, cars, you know, you look at, you know, opening credit cards, taking on credit card debt, all that stuff. And it's this really vicious cycle of it happens and then, oh, whoops, you know, we made a mistake. Now we're going to jack everything up. And so now you've got people in situations with adjustable rates on a lot of things. Or you've got people that want to get things and now the price is crazy high and so we have these really interesting things going on in our economy right now and the thing of it is the the mechanisms behind all this things like welfare benefits Things like, you know, providing central services or government agencies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, even if Congress went the route of, like, let's say that they wanted to stop all of the spending programs in the normal budget. Close down all its agencies and bureaus, stop all the subsidies, you know, <laughs> close up all its buildings, including the White House. It would reduce present spending, maybe a third, maybe. It, and it's probably even smaller than that at this point. Congress is accelerating its discretionary spending. Not, it doesn't ever cancel. Like, government programs don't ever go away. They just get absorbed into something else. And the Federal Reserve System is just this huge doomsday mechanism. And you have to remember, 
every single cent of our money supply, coins, currency, paper, you know, checkbook money, all of it, it all came into existence for the purpose of being loaned to someone. The dollars only disappear when the loans are paid back. They're in existence only as long as the debt behind them exists. And underneath this pyramid of money, this monstrosity, supporting the entire just structure of everything, are, you know, what's explained to people as the, quote, reserves, which is the representation of the Fed's monetization of debt. If we tried to pay off the national debt, those reserves would start to quite literally disappear. And our money supply would be, you know, undermined. The Fed, then, they would start, you know, kind of going into panic mode, in a way. You know, they'd have to go into the money markets of the world and play this replacement game of all the U.S. securities with bonds from corporations in other countries. It, it could be done, but if you think about how devastating that transition would be, under the Federal Reserve System, therefore, we, or, you know, Congress then, would be fearful to eliminate the national debt, even if they wanted to. It would be catastrophic. And... You know, this doomsday mechanism then is is in operation, and it's only partially, though. And we have to look then to the question of who, so who owns the national debt? And, and we've been told you know, how many ever times, that we don't need to worry about interest on the national debt because we owe it to ourselves. So, one of the biggest players in this is foreign investors who, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's safe to say at this point in time, foreign investors probably own a third, maybe a little bit more, uh, of our national debt. Um, you know, agencies of the, the federal government probably have another third-ish. Um, the IOUs that took the place of money taken from funds such as Social Security Fund. And, you know, you've got private sector investors in the U.S. that hold 
you know, probably about the other third. And, you know, the Federal Reserve probably holds a small portion. You know, you could manipulate those numbers however you want. But the, you know, yes, the whole we owe it to ourselves thing is, is partially true. Um, or at the very least that all of us <laughs> owe it to some of us. Um, the quote, some of us who receive the interest are private investors going after income that is exempt from state income taxes and large institutions like banks, corporations, insurance companies, investment funds, you know, an, an institution, their money is represented via, you know, pooled assets belonging to thousands of small investors. So, you know, a major, and I don't know, maybe substantial portion of the interest on the national debt does indeed carry to the benefit of a large sector of the American people, which, sure, that's good news. The bad news, however, is that the government takes every cent of the money it pays to us by confiscating it from we the people in the first place. The money goes out of one pocket and back into the other minus a little handling fee. Right? The government will take a thousand bucks from us in taxes and inflation and give us back 400 bucks. This, you know, benefit to the public is just a huge scam. And think about this. When people purchase government bonds, that would mean there's less money available for investment in private industry. Government credit, quote, pushes out private credit. And the result would then be that the productive side of our country is handicapped by unfair competition for investment capital. And you have to understand, for, for private companies to obtain new money to grow, they have to pay higher interest rates. These then get passed on to the consumer via higher prices. So a lot of companies over time, their plans for expansion are put on pause and new jobs are never created. Or they're forced out entirely, close their doors, business gone. And that puts employees out of work. The economy is always hampered by government debt. And the larger that debt is, the greater the damage. You know, the roughly one-third of, of national debt held by foreign investors is a huge amount of money. You know, trillions of dollars. You can't just ignore that. The bonds become a huge problem you know, down the road as they come to maturity. If, 
if they're purchased with money that already existed, there wouldn't be any inflationary aspect. But what if bondholders decide not to renew? In order to pay off the bonds when they mature, the Treasury would have to issue new ones. The Federal Reserve then would have to purchase the new bonds with fiat money. Therefore, foreign-held federal debt is just an explosion waiting to happen. If... If this ever had to be picked up by the Fed, the inflationary impact would be crippling. I hope you can see how how this all kind of is is tying in together. Despite increases in wages over time, what we can call real wages for people continue to go down. And this has been confirmed, you know, time and time again. You know, just look at where prices are at for right, you know, right where we're at right now in, in the early part of 2023, and the cost on things because of the amount of spending that's, you know, that's happening. And we have... Right now, in, in various parts of the country, we have modern-day Hoovervilles with, you know, the homelessness and people being out of work, not wanting to go to work, which is, which is a whole other issue. But none of this happens by accident. That's, and that's the biggest heartbreaker. Like, for me as an American citizen is... It's all intentional. And, you know, things like United Nations, and you hear things like the New World Order, the global government, which is, the scariest part about it is the, it's based on this principle of socialism that it would be ideal for everybody to be on a level playing field. Like, everything is the same. And you see movies or shows or, or whatever, and I can't think of anything specifically off the top of my mind. I've, I've seen them before, though, where, like, say you've got a society where what you do for work is dictated, and everybody contributes, everybody shares all the same stuff, and everybody lives in the, you know, the same size house, same type of stuff. And that to me is a scary thought. We as humans 
thrive on our own independence, being who we want to be, you know, at the end of the day, you know, be nice to other people, treat people with respect. You can live how you want to live in your private life, you know, do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting others, breaking laws, etc. And we have laws in place for a reason because we've learned over time that certain decisions are bad, right? And they can be harmful, etc. Well, our financial system apparently doesn't learn. And we've got two things going against us being prepared by the United Nations. You've got essentially a world military headquarters, which is working towards eventually one day controlling all national armies and all the major weapons. Right? The... The way that it's sold to us, though, is, you know, through peace and, you know, everybody agreeing to disarm, right? Things like nuclear agreements and, and whatever. And the other would be, as you may or may not have, have guessed or assumed, a central bank. Uh, you've got the International Monetary Fund or World Bank. They have the ability to issue a a global common currency, which every country has to accept. And they're pushing that through the guise of making international trade easier and economic growth for all countries. And where this ties in is... That monetary control is arguably the most important facet. Military force is kind of a crude way, you know, in the, the quote arsenal of, of a government. And it, it you can think of it like it really is kind of like a last resort type of thing. Um, I think regardless of, well... Maybe there are leaders, like if we look through history or, or currently right now, maybe their first move is, you know, trying to do military action. But I think, you know, for the vast majority of leaders, you know, talking, working through things, treaties, whatever, is preferable to having to go to war. Monetary control is far more powerful. It reaches into every facet of society, every business. Every home. And think about how precisely it can be used against one country or a group or one person. And at the same time, benefiting everybody else. Military force is devastating. It causes political unrest. It causes resentment. And you got to remember, manipulating monetary status quo, it's not understood by the people that are affected by it as its, quote, victim. The manipulators enjoy high 
financial reward, high social status. And this would be the weapon, the quote, weapon of choice for any kind of new world order. Minimum coercion and maximum freedom would be, you know, the ideal way to do it if you had a world government control. It allows for some variety. It allows different cultures to still coexist. Right? Let's encourage diversity and freedom to choose. And so, the New World Order, however, with the United Nations, is entirely different. Think about the members represented with the UN. The UN's core philosophy, again, is the socialist platform. All good flows from the government. If you don't conform, the government will bend you to its will or they'll eliminate you. It is totalitarianism, and that's what they want. And America is the primary target right now. I think you could say it's probably safely under control at the, at the moment, especially, unfortunately, with who our president is. But the, uh, the world planners out there are probably worried that we're going to break loose at some point in the future. Because if we as Americans were able to regain control over our own government, which is how it should be, we have the military and the economic capability to break away and do our own thing. But the world order, their, their primary motive right now is to weaken the United States from an economic and a military standpoint. And we can see that happening. And this is coming from inside our own house, not, not other countries. People sitting in the White House, the Department of Defense, the Treasury, the State Department, They're working on internal destruction. And think about, too, U.S. soldiers fighting under U.N. authority. Think about that. The American military is being absorbed into the U.N. And I am sure behind the scenes... There are already things happening to hand over American nuclear weapons, American atomic weapons, 
And if these things happen, it'll be too late. When we find out, it'll be too late. And the Federal Reserve System, working with the International Monetary Fund World Bank, the American economy is deliberately being exhausted right now. They want to bring the system down. Right? Think about the people, quote, standing in soup lines. Think about all the Hoovervilles around this country right now and all the issues. Drugs flowing into the country. Broken southern border. People will be ready to just accept the, quote, rescue plan when it comes, unfortunately. A world currency is already in place. They're just waiting for the right crisis to justify it. Once that happens, there will be no going back. Just be what it is. And things will be even more in control. So, that's where we're at. And it's scary, scary, scary. And the the mechanisms to keep controlling everything will continue to be more oppressive until such time that we have leadership in the right places to take control of things. And this is this is why we've seen through history people who could have done really good things that were essentially taken down by the government, whether it was secretly behind the scenes or mainstream, doing it right in front of our face. And so just think about some of that stuff. It all ties in to what's going on with the Federal Federal Reserve here. So, you know, the only way that we would ever get back on track is to, you know, move away from the Federal Reserve. Or at the very least, have leadership in federal offices that understands that there's no point, you know, to be borrowing more money. But who knows if that'll happen. Anyway, so I hope this last episode here, you know, helps kind of, you know, maybe bring everything around. I know that there'll never be like a conclusion to any of this, but I hope that it's informative. I hope that it's entertaining. And, you know, maybe it makes you think a little bit more about how you do your banking, where you do your banking, you know, any of that stuff. Just remember, like, money in the bank will continue to deteriorate, you know, a checking account, a savings account, because unless that account is guaranteeing you an interest rate that matches at the minimum matches the inflation that's happening, 
it's always losing. So because of the fact that that doesn't exist anywhere, you would be better off, instead of having a savings account in a bank, to actually just keep the cash there or, you know, like I said, invest in some precious metals that you can then flip in the future because they will gain in value as time goes on. And so, yeah, just think about it. But anyway, this has been another episode of the John Q. Public Podcast Show. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Have a great day.